The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. We are recording. Check, check, check. And hey, uh, everybody. Oh, hey. You're listening to The Winemakers, and that was our second cold opening. <laughs> I'm sitting here with Jordan Kivelstad, Brian Casey, Kyle, uh, there you go, and Bart Hansen. So every, Hi, everybody. Sam Katuri is... Is off on um, a super secret project. Yeah, so we're actually so. at Sam's Tasting House, but he's not here. So Paul was uh, nice enough to let us in. Oh, thanks, Paul. Hey, yeah, yeah. And he's <laughs> looking so good with his Grateful Dead beard. You know, I mean, it's just I think it's now mandatory to have a beard to work here, right? So anyway, what do they do for the women? Oh, I, I don't, you don't want to go there. I love, I love the don't want to go there. I think they give them a pass. Okay? Uh, Alice doesn't have a beard. Last time I checked, so. no, 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 no. She's a beautiful lady. And uh, anyway, so we're having fun. Uh, so we're here with Jordan Kiffelstadt, one of the smartest guys in the wine business. Not only do you make beautiful wine, but we were just talking about how much glass you have saved because you pioneered the wine in the tank. How do you describe? No, no, no. It? I, I think uh, no, I think I don't think we refer to wine and tank. No, well, and, and I think that uh, Budweiser actually pioneered the uh, technically kegs, it right? was Budweiser, Palmasan, and Engelnook back in the seventies right. and eighties. But and actually, if you go the French way before that, but but I'll take it with a big smile okay. on my face. <laughs> no problem. I, and I and I know you're doing as we said canning wines now a lot of that. And I will say that when I was in high school, uh, we used to drink canned wines. What was it? Ouch. Uh, that's a very good question. My mind wasn't open to it that much. It was just consuming it. Bo- Boone's Farm in the can? <laughs> no, it was something. It was some that's large all, producer. All, that's all we could get in in college was Lancers and um, a couple of other, real uh, the fortified wines, yep. any, yeah. any Green Springs, Boone's Farm, stuff like that. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> well, you're, you, that's because you're a kid, and I'm an old man, so <laughs> don't, don't worry. So, Jordan, welcome. And um, can, we, uh, can we start off with maybe you telling us uh, how you got started in the wine business? Yeah, actually, it's, it's a fun story. You know, this is uh, 13 years ago now. And uh, I just hated my old job. So I always tell people, I say, when you start working, right, the first thing you should do is look at the people 10 years older than you in your job and decide whether you like what they do. And if you like it, you're in the right job. Right. If you go, I do not want to be you, probably time to change careers. <laughs> I was I was the latter, not the former. Um, yeah, I'm watching these guys still traveling three or four days a week at the beck and call of customer. I was just like, you know, I could do better. So I moved back out here. I'm from the Bay Area. And uh, I took my first job as a harvest intern at uh, Copan Custom Crush up in Santa Rosa back when it was there. It's now Punchdown Har- Cellars. A harvest intern. But you, you went to school to for grapes. engineering, correct? I do. I do have a degree in engineering, okay. um, yeah. but engineering and entrepreneurial business. But I, uh, I applied that to consulting, not actually. I was, I've never been an engineer. Right. Um, I don't know. It, it always seemed boring to me to be confined by rules. Um, I'm, I'm not very good with that. So yeah, I know that feeling. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So, so what year was that first harvest? Sorry. Oh, six. So six was uh, with Copan. Then uh, I went to Australia. I made wine in Margaret River, which is an absolute blast. I don't know. If, has anyone here ever been to Margaret River? No. Oh, oh man. Paul, Paul has. Paul has. All right. <laughs> Paul knows. It's like heaven on earth out there. So you're three and a half hours south of Perth. You're in 
one of the top five surfing spots in the world, even though I'm not a surfer. I tried. Um, and I was working nights, and I am not a night person. Uh, I have some of my favorite production destruction stories. Uh, I drove a forklift through a wall. Excellent. I blew a press. I mean, pretty much everything you can do wrong, I did wrong, um, which was a great learning experience. Uh, came back, worked you here for a couple years. You only learn from your failures. Oh, I still have. So, so, so this is a funny story. So, so a press, right? These big um, um, pneumatic presses, right? They have what's called burst discs. So when you fill it up too much, there's a little carbon disc that will explode before you destroy a $200,000 piece of equipment, right? You That's probably disc. a good thing. Yeah. Well, I'm sitting there and, uh, you know, pushing, 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 and boom, just plume of, I mean, 40-foot plume of grapes everywhere, right? Nice. And I still have on my desk that burst disc, the cracked burst disc. Like, as a reminder on my desk, we all make mistakes. You learn yep. from your mistakes. Like, it's important. Yeah. We, yeah. You, and if you stop making mistakes, it means you're not trying hard enough anymore. When I worked at Benziger, we had our Rookie of the Year award. And every year it grew. And it grew with something that somebody had broke. And there was part of a bladder there. There were uh, pitchforks. <laughs> there were all sorts of things. You oh, know? yeah. Interns so, are yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. Some of these were done by seasoned veterans. So <laughs> let's, let's remember. All right. Fair we'll, enough. We'll all make mistakes, man. That's yeah. it. Innocence. It's, we try. We yeah. try. Yeah. So, yeah. So I did that. And then I, uh, um, I, ha- I met this wonderful woman. Um, and uh, I, was, I separated ways from Donham. And I had this idea for whining kegs. And uh, I got offered a winemaking position in Argentina, and uh, I turned to the girl I'd been dating eight months and said, hey, you want to switch careers, and I want to move to South America. You want to come with me? And so she quit her job, and we spent six months living in South America. I made wine in Argentina and in Chile, um, which was an absolute blast. We lived in this little cottage at the bottom of the Andes in a 100-acre vineyard. I mean, you, you know, God. it sucks, right? I, yeah. I know, I know. Um, and uh, just so everyone's very clear, that woman is now my wife, in case my <laughs> wife was listening, wondering who I was talking about. Um, and uh, and then I came back and I started Free Flow. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd started my own winery in 07, but it was really small where'd, at that time. Where'd that idea come from? Free Flow. I, bottling. I'm actually bottling today, can't you tell? Um, no, I'm glad you took. I'm glad you took an hour off to. to uh, I, the, I, you know, uh, assistant winemakers are amazing human beings, uh, and for all of those people who don't give enough credit to the assistant winemakers, uh, all of us winemakers, yeah, yeah, we get all the credit, and all the assistant winemakers do all the work. Yep. Um, here, here. So uh, I would just like to uh, say a big thanks to uh, to Sam. He's uh, he's making sure the bottling lines are running today. But we, um, you know, bottling sucks. Like, I mean, has everyone here been on a bottling line? Like, it's a miserable the, the, experience. Yeah, the best day of bottling, or the best thing about bottling is being done with bottling. Correct. It's like taking your ski boots off at the end of the day. Absolutely. Like, the best part of skiing is taking your boots uh, off. Um, and bottling's kind of the same way. And so, I just had one of those epically crappy bottling days. Uh, I mean, label problems, cork problems, foil problems, bad glass. I mean, literally, if you could just go to the checklist of every item you consume in bottling, every single one of them had a problem. The perfect storm. The perfect storm. So at about three in the afternoon, I walked in the winery, and I kicked one of my topping kegs, and I said, why the hell can't I just put wine in one of these? Wow. That was literally the genesis for it. And it was funny because Copan at that time, right, we had some of I mean, Dumal was there, Carlisle. Was, I mean, these are like the top. Sonoma County wineries. And I go to my winemaker place. I'm like, so I want to put premium wine in a keg. They're all like, <laughs> that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Um, and generally, my rule of thumb on new ideas is if everyone tells you it's the stupidest idea they've ever heard of, it actually might be a good one. If everyone thinks it's a good idea, a lot of times you're actually not onto that exciting of an idea. You need everyone to disagree with you because that means you're doing something truly innovative as opposed to just progressive. 
And so, yeah, we did. And we started with uh, 80 used beer kegs. Uh, we bought uh, <laughs> a, a lot of Merlot and a lot of Sauvignon Blanc, and we put them in kegs, and we went to see if anyone would buy wine in a keg. How many do you have now? Last time you were on the radio show, I think you said you had about 150,000? Yeah, so I'm at about 160,000 now. Okay. Um, Somewhere. Right. Uh, Yeah, all over the U.S. in transit. Because you're in Jersey now, too, correct? Right. We have a facility in New Jersey, too, in Bayonne, um, which uh, my landlord's name is Vinny. And uh, I mean, (laughs) these stereotypes could not. I mean, literally, Vinny owns the the docks. Okay. Boombots? Vinny. I don't even know what Vinny's last name is. I'm scared to ask. Um, You don't want to know. Vinny owns the docks. He's got this really fancy office across from us where he drives his Land Rover every day. I have no idea what Vinny actually does. He just owns stuff. Yeah. So uh, well, we had a funny like uh, uh, problem with the lease, and, and resolving it with this guy was was an entertaining experience. Let's just put it. Hey, all you need is Vinny in the baseball. He bat. goes, goes, Jordan, Jordan. It's not my fault. You know, I just day hey, shit hey. happens. You know, hey, it's like dealing with the Sopranos. Forget right? about it. Seriously. <laughs> so is so, that a place just to uh, get all the have all the kegs? So all of our imports from Europe come in in bulk, and we keg them in New Jersey, right? So France, Italy, Germany, Spain, all those wines are coming into Jersey, and then all of our California, Washington, Oregon, and and then uh, Australia, New Zealand wines are coming. And and this isn't necessarily... Sorry, John. This isn't necessarily your wines. This could be wines that you're kegging for other companies? Yeah, so we have about 250 wineries. I saw that We keg for now, and it, it ranges from... The ultra premium. I mean, you know, you're talking a eighty hundred dollar bottle of wine, all the way down to you know your supermarket more common wine, something like a Mark West, right. and they all have a place, right? right. Um, and what's great is, you know, we have customers all across the spectrum, and I love that. And and again, it's all about premium wine. So my whole philosophy in everything I do is about giving people great wines without pretense. So whether it's Kivelstat with our Growler program, whether it's Free Flow by putting wine on tap so people can have better wines by the glass that taste right, or whether it's essentially geared where I'm serving awesome wines in a can that you can take with you anywhere you go. Go to yep. the beach, go to the park, go to the plaza on Tuesday nights. Like A can is so mobile, and it's awesome, and it's so sustainable. And so I have this really uh, big philosophy for my generation, which is, we're the first generation that's going to get ha- handed a world that was worse than the one that our parents were handed. We have a social responsibility to at least try to do good. Uh, try. So, yeah. Try. Every- so every time we make a decision, can we do? Can we make a good business decision? Can we make a good decision that actually impacts the world? And, and, and I've heard you say this before. What does this mean? Double bottom line is key to our generation. So a double bottom line. So everyone knows what a bottom line is. You run a company, you have a bottom line. It's profit, right? A double bottom line means you have a different objective as well. So for free flow, it's a sustainability objective. It's to take um, 100 million pounds of trash out of landfills, thanks to what we're doing. We're at about uh, 14 million right now. So I still, wow. I still got a ways to go. Yeah. But but that was 1 million when we started the company. I bumped it to 10 million. We busted through that. So now I got to set the bar at 100 million and see if I can break through that. And it's a snowball, right? Like right. it just keeps going and going and going, which is Isn't amazing. Isn't it nice to see a business succeed like that? Yeah. And be socially responsible? Well, and, and you know, here's something when I do my bottling or the companies I've worked for when we're bottling, and, and I... You have to understand how much waste there is in bottling between the plastic that covers the car, the cardboard boxes, the cardboard that covers the cardboard boxes, the plastic that used to rewrap the pallets, yep. and then that gets thrown away. And they're all really, they are necessity. Lead, you know, foil, um, 
yeah, well, wax. Everybody could quit using foils. I mean, Why that's do easy. people still use foils? I don't know. I, what I would like to say I was one of the first. Ten or fifteen, yep. not to use foils. I, I, I know it's it was you. Copan was one was up yep, there early yep, on, yep. and I look, I'm like, oh, that's so smart. There's yeah. absolutely no reason to have a foil on a bottle. I think or, it looks so slick. I mean, it yeah. looks good and fancy, but I, wax I is a pain in the ass. No, to no, take foil off. and wax. Man. All right, well, take I do, away. I do wax a couple so, of my anyway. lines, but you know, <laughs> but you know, there is it There's is a mar- purpose it, marketing. It, it is marketing, and you know, you are a marketer without a doubt, um, and you know. Uh, can I can I say one, from apparently. a server standpoint though, and this is what I always try to impress upon winemakers that you are not making a friend of a server if you have a huge wax uh, capsule on your wine because they're going to be recommending your wines, and when they're thinking it's uh, now I'm busy tonight, the last thing I need to deal with is going through this Ten wax or breaking it wax, off, yeah. and so yeah. they're they're going to recommend something else. But that's the key to picking the right wax, right? So those guys that do that really hard wax that you literally need a chisel to get through, they, you have to knock right, it off. That's just yeah. dumb. Like yeah. the wax I use is really soft. You just go through it. I mean, you don't even have to cut. You just go right through it, pull right. out, and you're good to go. I, I don't mind those. It's it's the ones that are real hard that you almost yeah you're right. You almost need a chisel. You're using the back of your wine opener, kind of knocking it off, and you make this incredible mess on the table. Um, but, but that goes that goes back to a really interesting point, Brian, which is um, let's talk about service and restaurants. So this is a this is one of those things, right? I'm a big believer that wine is awesome. I think everyone around this table is generally a large fan of wine. Um, but my problem is 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 we've gotten to a point where we've elevated wine to such a tier for most people, it's almost intimidating, and I hate that. Well, you know, I mean, that was okay. So to, to set my feelings on that same idea, I would say that for me, hit the height about 1990, you know, okay. and, and people started to talk about trying not to appeal. bring it to, you know, to the masses. Yep. But at that point, wine wasn't cool when I was first in the business. You know, about 10 years ago, wine became cool. It was, you know, there was a winemaker in a, um, a decongestion ad, you know. Um, I mean, seriously, it, it's wine has become cool. Yes. And, and so I agree with you. But I think I, th- I think we've already gotten there, and we're on. We're making it more accessible to people already. And that's our job extent. on this show is right. to demystify wine. Well, and that's my whole thing is I, I do agree with you that wine has definitely become more central place in our society, and people are, are a lot more excited about wine. It doesn't change their intimidating experience with wine, right? right. So, to Brian's point is is think about all those people. I mean, have you guys all like worked in a restaurant or or bar at some point yep. and served wine, right? That look of absolute fear on a patron's face when you set the cork in front of them. And, and first of all, it, so it starts with the wine list, right? Nobody wants to be that person that has to pick the wine unless you're like us and everyone just hands you the wine list because right. you're the wine guy, right? Yep. So that scares people. They don't even know where to start. Then the server brings the wine over and they pour the splash. Nobody knows what they're smelling for. They put the cork down, and you're like, okay, I'll smell. I, the whole process makes wine intimidating for people. And they're like, you know what, I'll just take an IPA. And, and, or I'll take a cocktail. And so I think for me, part of what I try to do is find ways to change the way people experience wine to make it more accessible in more applications. Because to me, I want to increase share of stomach. I want more people drinking more wine more of the time. If you could get in at Giants Park... RDR. Sheriff, uh, you share of stomach. Yeah, share of stomach. Well, well, and for those listeners out there, I think it's important that we that we sort of talk about why wine in a keg. Um, 
because the oxygen is the enemy of wine. So when you're talking about um, going to your local bar or restaurant and they have bottles of wine and that's how they pour their B- what we call BTG by the glass wines. And you've got, say you've got eight to 10 wines open and you know, you've got some obscure stuff, a Chenin Blanc or you have a, you know, a, a Pinot Meunier or something. A Dane Cellar Chenin Blanc. Or, and, and you're pouring, you know, it's not a busy night and you pour off one or two glasses. And so you've got two glasses left. You can either, you know, try and gas that wine but at a certain point i mean it's unusable so you're talking about waste with the kegs i think the real benefit is every glass that comes out of that keg is like the first glass out of a bottle correct oh it's so awesome i mean uh, for me it's it's the oxidation is one piece the other is temperature i hate getting a glass of warm red wine it drives me bonkers we drink our white wine way too cold and we drink our red wine way too warm yep yeah. I, I will never forget, I was at a large chain restaurant, which shall not be named. And, Cheesecake uh, Factory. Um, <laughs> I'm not answering that question. Um, and I'm sitting at the bar, right? And so they have this beautiful, giant bar, right? And, uh, and it's windows behind it. And so I'm watching the sun come in through the window <laughs> on a half-open bottle of Cabernet. Right. And I was like, you know what? I'll take a glass of Cab. It must have been 85 degrees. And I was just like, why would anyone drink this? Yeah. Like, this is yeah. disgusting. And, and, and it's so unfortunate because that wine was a good wine when they opened it and pulled it out of the wine cooler. And they have wine coolers. The point was it got sat on a bar on a busy Friday afternoon, right? And, and whoever ordered it is the unfortunate beneficiary of that yeah. process. Yeah. And we've all been that person. We've all got where, that. Where is yeah, it? Or got yeah. that, that bottle that had two glasses in it and sat overnight and didn't yeah. get it. And, you know, whenever I go into a place that's pouring my wine by the glass, and if I see it like that, I always buy that glass because I want to see how it's aging, you know? Yeah, how does it taste how does six it taste? hours later? Exactly. And sometimes you go, oh, we're okay. Sometimes you go, let's open a new one, please. So, And, and I mean, white wines are even worse because yeah. red wines will hold up overnight, a lot of them. Um, and, you know, still taste Tastes fine. Better. Some taste better uh, yeah. even. Yeah. But white wines, the moment you open that white wine, it starts gassing off. And, and the aromatics start declining. And, I mean, it's, it's instant. It's not... It doesn't have the longevity. So the one I hate is they open a, gl- a bottle at lunch. By the time that Sauvignon Blanc uh, is ready for dinner, it's just not exciting anymore. It, it's not bad. It didn't right. spoil. It just lost its punch. And, right. you know, as winemakers, our whole reason we do buy the glass is to give people experience of our brand, right? We want right. them to exactly. try our brand the totally. first time. Well, it stinks when they try our brand, and by no fault of our own, it doesn't taste good. Now, yeah. do you have... This, this is the way I've wondered about trying to use kegging for myself, for instance. I have wines that don't work in the buy-the-glass program pricing, but if I kegged some of that wine, so otherwise do your bottling, yep. and keg off five or six small kegs, ten small kegs, and then go out, sell it at the reduced price, buy the glass, have you found that that transmits, that people understand that they can still buy the same wine with a cork? Yeah, it's actually been really cool. So when we talk to a lot of our premium winery partners, um, you know, people that have over time, their prices have crept up and kind of crept them out of by the glass. Um, great example, one of the first ones to do it with us was Trefethen. And what they learned was over time, the Chardonnays had kept creeping up because demand and quality and whatever. But they got to the point where they were literally couldn't do by the glass anymore because they, they didn't want to risk the price, right? You hit that so ceiling. They, they said, yeah. okay, well, let's do 50 kegs of Chardonnay um, and we can sell it at this price because it's not in a bottle, right? So all of a sudden, they drop that $2 a bottle, quote-unquote, in cost, 
And, and everybody's like, oh my God, I can get trefethin for that and serve it by the glass. And next thing you know, they were sold out. And what's, what, what I talked to most of my small wineries about is I said, don't, don't try to like estimate the market. Make an amount. Tell your distributors, this is all I have. And sell it to accounts that way. This is a limited release. Right. You can be the only one in make Colorado it special. Yeah. that has it. Make it special. Yeah. And every year, guess what? Last year made 50. This year make 100. Next year make 150. And all of a sudden, you have this robust by-the-glass-only program that, again, introduces people to your brand. And to your point earlier, they get tasting. It tastes right. right. And that's what's so cool. Uh, Bart, um, Sam and I were talking just the other day about uh, a mistake I made. You know, I mean, I, I, I ruined a collection of Silver Oak by storing it improperly in a kitchen. That I thought you were going to say by yeah, buying it. Et and, <laughs> um, Again, I love however, all my customers I, the same. I, I opened a Syrah the other night and poured it without tasting it. So big mistake because it was not a good bottle. And it, it was taken back and no problem whatsoever. Um, but don't pour for guests what you don't taste first. Mm -hmm. So that's a big rule that I broke. Well, you know, one thing I've noticed in the the keg um, keg business is that when they first, when you first started seeing five or six taps at a at a wine bar or a restaurant, you would ask about the wines, and they'd say, "Oh well," or my friends would say, "Oh, I think that's all Kibblestadt wines with different names <laughs> on it," because they were things that we really hadn't heard of, and Correct. mainly it was just wineries, uh, other wineries. But now you're right. It's we go out there and there's selections from all sorts of uh, premium winemakers, and um, and, and so that's great. Con congratulations Thank to you, you on that. What's cool is when you go to uh, a concept that's built around it. So uh, if anyone is in Dallas or traveling to Dallas, Texas, go check out Sixty Vines, um, Six Zero Vines. Um, they have 42 wines on tap, wow. and it is the focal point of the. Re you walk into the restaurant, and the entire back wall is this tiled back wall with the taps, and it has the brand logos above each tap. Nice, it's gorgeous. They sell so much wine. I mean, the think uh, the first location did three thousand kegs. That's seven thousand nine liter case equivalents in one year. Jeez. Um, that's good business. That's good business. It really um, is. And and what I say to people is, I said, you know why it works. Because wine becomes the focal point of the restaurant in a non-intimidating way. They say, oh, you want a taste? Here you go. Have a taste. Yeah. And it, there's no risk of spoilage or waste. And then the other thing I love is every single server is a level one som. You want a job there? You got to take the class. And so these people actually know what they're talking about. And look, we all know that level one som is not the most complicated thing in the world, but it gives every single person a baseline level of knowledge to talk to customers. And yeah. I think that's super cool. Well, and we're not only talking about wine. I think I've heard you speak about kombucha about cold pressed coffee, about sangria. Um, I'd like to sake talk. Sake, too. I do sake on Really? Tap. Yeah. Oh, a cold sake on tap. It's called Bushido. Cold. Cold. So there's one. That's I do one from sake, idea. one up in Oregon, and I do a Japanese one called Bushido, um, which is the way of the warrior. And uh, oh my God, we, that, when, when we have extra kegs of that around the office, that disappears. Like, I don't know. Cold sake is delicious, it and this one's particularly good. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Warm is um, disgusting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it depends, John. I've had, yeah. I've had some good sake. It's like I, I like John's opinions. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. it's good. you got to have opinions. Right, right. You're supposed um, to. I'm, I'm apparently a politician, so I just don't have opinions. I have thoughts. 
Well, in craft cocktails, that's not something that's actually legal in every state, correct? Correct. So craft cocktails are illegal uh, due to standing rules around that the Alcohol Tobacco Trade Bureau has. Uh, you cannot package hyperfalcal alcohol in anything larger than 1.75 liters. That's why like uh, uh, the jugs you see in the store, the largest the you'll ever see the handle. Yeah. Exactly. So, But we're seeing them batch, batched at the accounts and done. Um my opinion is the craft cocktail on tap movement is not as long lived as wine or beer. And the reason being is because because the actual producers can't create the cocktails, you're dealing with a lot of variability. You know, it's a large mm. vessel, so you're mixing different things. You got juice in there, which can kind of spoil and go rot. It just, right. it's not ideal. And, and a buddy of mine is one of the top bartenders in the city, and he and I have gotten into this. And originally, I was on, I was pro cocktails on tap uh and over time i've i've changed my my tune Interesting. Um, I, I, certain applications like stadiums there's some amazing technologies that will mix they'll take alcohol and and the mixes mix them together and dispense it mm -hmm. i'm all for that in the right venues uh the golf course and the stadiums um things like that just in a high-end restaurant I, I just don't think it's sustainable now kombucha cold brew coffee it was funny i was just with a, a national restaurant chain and we were talking about this and they have too many beer taps they, they they got on the craze too many for their concept and they want to scale it back so they're like we have a bunch of extra taps we want to do wine on tap but i want to do some other things and i was like well what about cold brew coffee and he says i don't know and i said look people don't order coffee because generally it's a four hour stale pot every time right like because not very many people order coffee but you put cold brew on and it will fly yeah. at like four to five dollars a glass and then we talked about kombucha too because i said you got a bunch of non-alc drinkers and they have they have soda and iced tea that's it it's it's hot out they want a carbonated beverage give them kombucha and 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 you know they get the beer-like experience with none of the alcohol yep. so you know i think i'm a big believer of stuff on tap from a sustainability perspective <laughs> yeah. and quality yeah, I would. Be, I would be too if I were you. Seriously. Well, let's switch gears. Let's talk about your wine. All right. Nice, um, nice website. For, for which one? Kivelstaff. Oh, thank you. And uh, whoever did the photography, it's beautiful. Taylor, how, she's amazing. How much is, of your business is direct to consumer? So uh, by volume, we're twenty five percent direct, seventy five percent wholesale. Um, obviously, by dollars, it's a different proportion. But um, I'm a huge believer that if you want to be sustainable as a winery today, you know, beyond you, you yourself as an owner, winer, proprietor, um, you have to have wholesale. And it's hard. It's really hard out there right now. Um, yes, it is. It's, it's brutal. But I'm in 18 states. I do well in those 18 states. I know how to run, make my wine so that I can sell to a wholesale and still make money. Can you um, say how many cases that you do? About 5,000. Okay. What's your favorite wine? Of the wines I make? Yeah. Well, my wine, Wayward Son, of course. Wayward uh, Son. Yeah. Wayward Son is my wine. It's an orange wine or skin fermented white wine. And it's uh, Marsan Roussan. About 12 days on the skins. It's nice. Bright orange. And it's fun. And I call it the gateway orange wine. It's, you know, it's not too weird to, to scare you off. Um, right. But I do a lot of cool stuff. I do a cold Zinfandel. I do a carbonic cold Zinfandel. I've seen um, this on the website, and I was because I haven't tried these wines. It's got a little bit different packaging. Yep. So Casey Labs is my my second label, yeah. and uh, it's almost all carbonic. I do a lot of there tend to be offbeat varietals, carbonic wines, things like that. So I love when I pour this in for people. I pour it, and they're like, "This is Pinot." I'm like, "No, it's it's Zinfandel." Yeah. I just didn't over extract it, or I didn't right. pick it at thirty. We just, just Casey do Labs. 
Casey Labs, yeah. yeah. Will you just do a brief explanation of carbonic for those people out there that don't know? Um... Sure. So, so when you make wine, right, most people will take the grapes off of the stems, right? And, and they'll crush them or ferment them that way. Carbonic, in its truest form, is you, you actually ferment the entire cluster uh, by itself. But true carbonic is you're actually closing it down and you're letting the CO2 do the digestion of the grapes as opposed to yeast. So when you do a true carbonic maceration, you're actually throwing everything in there. You're keeping a ton of CO2 on it all the time. And you're basically creating carbonic acid. And that's what's actually digesting the grape skins and doing it. And it gets this intensely aromatic uh, flavor profile that I love. So I use a lot of whole cluster in most of my red wine making. But the the Zin is we're all about making it fun. And, and it's, it's amazing. You pour it for people. And it's like what they always wanted Zinfandel to be. Like, Zin's great. And I think, unfortunately... In the last 20 years, we've taken Zin from this really elegant grape. And in California, it, it look, consumers were asking for it. It wasn't like we made it because no one was asking for it. But I think there's this pullback in this Nouveau California to, you know, make it a little more restrained and take the alcohols down. And me personally, I think you should split a bottle of wine at lunch with somebody and still be able to go to work afterwards. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, everybody pushed ripeness with Zinfandel because of the you know, uneven ripening of it. But really, the uneven ripening sometimes is what makes Zinfandel so beautiful because it gives it some acid with all that spicy pepper. Well, you, you know a little bit about making Zinfandel, so. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But that's my opinion. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, and, and, I, and I love your, your description of carbonic. I mean, it, it, it was very well said. I'm going to try to steal some of that information. Um, <laughs> Please. It, it's it's amazing how, how it does change a wine. I mean, even doing 30% in a tank of Syrah, let's say, oh, can take Syrah from being a very over-extracted, huge wine to something that's really quite beautiful. It punches the aromatics. It yeah, lets some of those yeah. like secondary characteristics just explode. I, I, I'm a huge fan of it. And so, you know, it's funny. We're going through this interesting time in wine. So we went through the, the over-extracted wine phase, right, where the big high alcohol wines and everyone's starting to pull back. And then they kind of went to the other extreme. They went to like the natural wine movement. And, and me personally, I am not in that camp. I'm not in the other camp. I call it the minimalist camp. Right. I want to grow great grapes make great wine. I like it to be lower alcohol, a little more restrained in style, or a lot more restrained in style. But I also understand that like we've spent thousands of years winemaking and in the last 200 years, we've gotten really good at it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with me as a winemaker, winemaking. Like sometimes mother nature throws you a curveball. Right. And I'm, I'm not going to say I'm going to put, I mean, there's some crazy stuff you can put in wine these days. I'm not putting that stuff in my wine. Absolutely. But I'm saying, hey, if, if, if mother nature threw me a curveball and I got to add a little bit of acid or, hey, guess what? Sulfur, a lot of my wines age. I am unequivocal about saying I use sulfur. I'm okay with that. I use the least amount I humanly can because yeah. guess what? I understand chemistry. Right. So it's, it's, it's one of those funny things is like we're going through an interesting time in wine right now where we're, this new wine, we're all trying to find ourselves and figure out like what consumers want and what we want. And I think it's really exciting. I'm, I'm, I love being a part of it. Yeah, well, I think it's fascinating that in the new or in the natural wine movement that um, flat out like just mistakes in the cellar, things that were missed in the cellar end up being excused as it's because it's a natural wine. And it's like those things could have been, a, could have been yeah. taken care of if you would have been paying attention in the winery. It's why orange wines got such a bad rap in this country. Right. Yeah. So many exactly. orange wines were like, oh, I left it for three months in the back of the barrel room. Did right. you top it? Right. <laughs> like things like that. And yeah. hey, guess what? That's totally cool. And the people that are passionate about it, like that's your thing. No worries. Um, me personally, I want every consumer that opens, every person 
that opens a, a bottle of my wine to have a great experience. And they may not love every wine I make. In fact, I don't expect them to like every wine I make. But I never want to serve them a bad wine, right? And there's a difference, right? There's wine they, doesn't, they don't like, and there's That's bad right. wine. There's taste, right. and then there's defect. Quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. quality. Well, and what, Brian, what, the orange wine... What do you what do you eat with the orange wine? For me, orange wines specifically, I really like to have with food. Oh yeah, um, there's something about the interaction of orange wine and cheeses and cured meats and things like that. Um, cheeses, the stinky cheeses. You get those like cheeses that are really hard to wine pair. Yeah, right. And orange wine's amazing. Yeah. Oysters too. Like I know everyone's like Sauvignon Blanc and oysters. Orange oh, wine, oysters. And oysters wine and oysters is amazing. Oh, because of the salinity, you the think? salinity with a little bit of you know, both of them have kind of a textural element to them that's really right. cool. I find that to be an amazing pairing. Ah, I've never thought about that's that. Good, yeah. Try that one, Brian. You just opened a bottle. What are we drinking yeah, so, here? Well, let me tell you what we've uh, we're been, drinking. Wine. So what we yeah. started with. <laughs> so we had a little forlorn hope uh, pig pool. Pig pool, correct? Yep. And then Sam, before he left, uh, handed me a bottle of the 16 Homage Blanc uh, from Rossi Ranch. I think, he- I think they're heading up to Rossi uh, today. And then we opened up this, which Paul uh, gave to me. He got this at the Rhone Room. Uh, shout out to Sandra Bernstein. She's carrying from H. Couturian Sons, which is uh, Sam's, Sam's uncle, uncle uh, Tony, correct? Yes. And this is, it's an unusual blend, and that's why I thought it was so cool. It's 70% Moved and 30% Marsan, which I have never seen in a blend before, a Moved marsan uh, blend. Why not, right? Well, well, why not? That's what we said, too. Uh, from the Sierra Foothills. So it's, uh, Paul, is it Caleb? Caleb Leisure? Caleb Leisure Wines. Um, but it's uh, produced and bottled by H. Couturian Sons. So very interesting. Uh, and we can almost... Guarantee that wine has zero sulfur in it. That is an all natural. That wine. is that is a natural wine. Much, Absolutely, uh, that is that's yeah. a good thing. A family tradition in, yeah, in that one, right, right? Well, on on Tony's side, yeah, to, on Tony's yeah, side, yeah. on Tony's side, yeah, yeah, yeah um, it always has been. And and I'll tell you, this one's tasting spectacular. It, it, it's exactly, really exactly. good. This bottle tastes this, this bottle tastes wonderful. Yeah, so um, it's it's a lot of fun. So I, I do have to uh, I do have to make a little comment here uh, while while I'm talking about this. So you know I, I keep talking about sustainability and fun wine, but. We have uh, sitting over here when I showed up as a can of wine too, which we haven't opened yet. But uh, but I I really love cans. Um, I think they take wine where it doesn't didn't used to go. Right. You know, you never want to lug a bottle to the beach, right? Yeah, but on a backpacking trip or out at the whatever, pool or out at the pool. Yeah. And there's something to me. There it oh, is. that was beautiful. Um, so. So I, I created this thing that I think everyone should check out. It's called thecanpain.com. Wait, you spell that? T H E C A N P A I G N. Like campaign, but canpain. Gotcha. Thecanpain.com. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, where we went ahead, you should check it out. It's uh, it's pretty spectacularly awesome. And we went and we videoed a bunch of people who had no idea that, and we blinded them on cans versus bottles. And, uh, and we filmed all day, and we edited down this two-minute video of people's experiences the first time they ever had wine in a can. And, oh, it is so spectacularly fun. And what back to my point is the reaction of people like, wine, what? It can come in a can? Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. And then tasting it for the first time and talking about it. And oh, we had this one great soccer mom in it who uh, uh, she's like, oh, my God. Do you know no one will know I'm drinking wine? I can go to the soccer game with this. Yeah. And just sneak it in. Oh my God! But go. these amazing and and to me, that's so fun. So uh, uh, it's it's through this brand I'm a partner in called Essentially Geared, and and it's uh, it's just 
fun. And and as I said, look, Kivelstad, I really am passionate about the wines that make the vineyards I source from, and 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 it's you know it, it's a traditional winery, right? Free flow, we cover the entire spectrum. With wine in a can, my thought is is where are you consuming this? It's a use occasion, right? You're out at the beach, you're at the picnic, you're at the backpacking. Okay, it's just about what I call crushable wines. Delicious, yeah. well-made, crushable wines. We used to have a, uh, at the Girl in the Fig, one of the bartenders, Anna and I, would rate the wines on a chuggability scale. And we, <laughs> I we, always we, liked that. Yeah, when they hit uh, 9 or 10 on the chuggability scale, those are the wines you want in a can. You want Correct. those wines that, you're gonna, uh, that are going to be cold, that you're going to take to some place. Most likely it's hot outside, and you just want something you can chug. Speaking Jordan. of ch- chuggability, huh? has anyone in this room ever seen the Shambong? Uh, yes, I, I have actually tried the Shambong. And, and how did it go? Uh, not so good for me. Wait a minute, but, what's but a I sh- was never very I good don't know at about bong. Yeah, I wasn't either. But I, I, <laughs> so the Shambong is a very elegant little champagne bong. Uh, so you fill up this flute of champagne on one end, and it's got a, a glass straw that comes off of it, and you just tip it back. And you basically down an entire glass of champagne in three seconds. Whoa. Um, and you burp. I would, yeah, you burp really yeah, I loudly. Say, less than three seconds later, you got to be burping. Because I've, I've chugged champagne before, but I've mm-hmm. never used a, a shambong. shambong. Well, I have before. them at Kibblestad. If you ever want to come by, since we make a bubbly now, you can uh, come by and shambong oh, some of our bubbles. Um, let's talk about that. You guys are in Glen Ellen. Uh, God, it's got to be Four years? Three years? Great little spot. Almost three years now in Glen Ellen. Yeah. Three years. Took yeah. over where Pangloss used to yep. be. Yeah. Uh, when they moved out, and um, it was the old Glen Ellen Market, Glen Ellen Market, and uh, bef- well, in the middle, it was um, uh, Adelsa. So it was it right, was, was Glen Ellen Market, then it was Adelsa, then it was Pangloss, and well, we were yeah. the lucky inheritors. Yeah, you've got a nice little spot there, and uh, and you guys fill up growlers too. For yeah, we your, do wine growlers, right? Take home. Um, oh, it's take out. So I have a great story. There's a, a friend of mine here in Sonoma, and uh, we. Right, right after we opened, we uh, we did a barrel of Pinot. I called it single barrel Pinot. We did on tap, and he came in and he got the first growler of single barrel Pinot, and he went home and drank it with his wife. And hey, their daughter was conceived that night. Oh so, boy! Careful growlers, they're powerful. How, uh, how big is a growler? What does that announces? One liter. So it's, it's one. A one liter. Uh, yeah, okay. it's so the the deal is since I don't have to pay for packaging, the bottle, the cork, all that, I sell people a liter of wine for the same price as a seven fifty in glass. Nice. So, yeah, you got 33% more wine, no cost. Let's and revisit campaign. I'm not finding <laughs> it on here. The, the campaign. Okay. C A N P A I G N. Right. And you guys, do you still have something um, where, with the farmer's market on Tuesday where people... The can, growler delivery? Yeah. That, that was a, a Connor thing? Ross special. And uh, with Connor getting married and moving to the UK, that one uh, kind of left with him. Okay. So, um, you know, it's interesting. And as questionable legal ramifications of doing uh, that. That's what so, I was wondering about. Technically, they had to pre-buy it. And all we were doing was delivering it to right, them, right. Um, which made it legal. But, you know, it. I can only push so many things at, at one time. Um, and it's been good. And, you know, it's it's nice to stay under the radar. It's of- good to stay under the radar. <laughs> yeah, getting on the radio and telling a bunch of people about what you do is clearly the best way to stay under the radar. <laughs> Absolutely. Not that many people I, I, live, listen anyway, Jordan. It's okay. Um, yeah, but you haven't had me on before. Come on now. That's right. Uh, we've had you on the radio show. We did the radio many, show many like two, or, times, two yeah. years ago. I think it was yeah. the last time we did yeah. it. Yeah. Which was a blast. I have a question for you, though. Having been uh, doing the advertising for Budweiser for years and years and years in Chicago, I noticed a distinct difference between their canned product and their bottle product. Yep. Same with Miller. You know, I mean, for me, I'm not a, a, a true beer drinker, and 
aficionado, but I sure noticed a, a difference. Do you notice any difference at all that the can imparts? And, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to add yep. on to that because I think you can answer it all one. How do you do winemaking different for things that you're kegging or canning? Absolutely. So, yes, it, it does. So both kegs and cans are totally uh, anaerobic environment, right? There's no oxygen in that package. Um, and, you know, unlike a cork or even a screw cap now, right, which will slowly, you know, allow oxygen and over time, um, that doesn't happen with kegs or cans. So one thing we do um, in that process is we recommend lower sulfurs. So in a keg... You know, one, that wine's going to be consumed generally within six months. And two, because it's an anaerobic environment, you just don't need as much sulfur. Yeah. So that's one big change. The other one is when you start to deal with red wines, uh, you know, because there's no oxygen, you also don't get maturation of the tannins. Right. So we also, for bigger red wines, we recommend Microox or something like that that's going to just pre-soften the tannins. Um, or maybe just a softer tannin profile wine right. would suit itself Correct. better. So just if you're looking at that blend, you know, stay away from Cabernet as a dominant grape that's going to have that that kind of bitter or clawing tannin that needs time to mature. You know, you're not going to see Howell Mountain Hillside fruit in a in a keg. It's yeah. just not going to happen. Um, so in cans, in cans, it's really interesting. Um, the reality is, is the consumer is only willing to pay so much for a can of wine, right? So the style of wines tends to be more crushable, as we discussed on the crushability scale. Here's the thing, though. It still has to be wine. The thing that drove me freaking crazy was all these people putting, like, junk bulk wine in, like, they're, like, fizzy red in a can. And I'm like, that's not wine. I don't even know what this is. It's disgusting. But I don't want to drink it, right? Like, we still... You still put wine in the can. It's got to be a 10 on the chuckability scale. but And that's what's cool. So my partner in my can project is the former uh, winemaker for our general manager for Pomelo before they sold the Trinquero. Oh, I used to drink that Sauvignon and, Blanc. Oh, man. Man, talk about crushability. Oh, we, we still drink that. <laughs> oh, the and lemon let me tell you, in there. Yeah. Grant, that dude can make crushable wine. And yeah. he is a master at it. And what we're able to do is make varietally correct, super crushable wines and still have them $5.99 for $3.75 on the shelf. Yeah. And that's what, so it's cool. I just got the the numbers. Uh, I was joking with you guys before, so I, I get the canned data. And we're the fastest growing canned wine brand in America. And that's not because we're like brand new. We've been out for 18 months. It's because our wine tastes like wine. Because you're putting good shit in the can. there's right. good shit in the can. Yeah. And people want good shit in the can. Yeah. And so you're doing the the Red Bull sized can for no reference. we act, we act, so we do both okay we do the three seventy fives which is you know half bottle looks like a soda can right? right um because in the U S you can't single serve at retail the two fifties which is the Red Bull can okay we do the Red Bull can for on premise only so we do a thirty six pack of two fifties um, a nine liter <laughs> case thirty six pack I like that yeah, yeah it's at Fenway right now it's uh yeah I mean but people love it it's got a rip top. So they just they drop it in, they rip the top off, and it's like, boom, 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 just tossing yeah. cans. Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, it just, when you're at a ball game, you don't want to carry around this dainty glass that spills matter. everywhere. No, no. You want some crushable wine in an easy format. Yeah. That simple. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, awesome. we are demystifying wine today. So, <laughs> so <clears throat> my big question is as we've talked about the difference between the process you have to do between a bottle and a keg with your cans as well. Is there any difference in process between the actual can and the keg? Because like, say a beer drinker, you want to go have a, a nice beer. 
we tend to go for a nice draft from the bar compared to if you're at the store, you're going to most likely choose a glass over a can. But I, think that's I would, changing, I would still definitely choose that keg over the glass going to the, to the store. Well, so I always ask people, right? If you walk into a restaurant, which is fresher, draft beer or bottled beer? Everyone says draft beer, right? It's fresher. Okay, well, the same thing works for wine, which is fresher, right? Um, when it comes to cans, you know, I actually credit the craft beer industry for the ability for us to have wine in can now. Absolutely. Oh, man. I mean, you guys remember five years ago, you walk into a supermarket and there was like three cans. Was like yeah. Bud, Miller, PBR, yeah. right? And then you started seeing some of the guys mess around with it. You know, um, Dale's out of Colorado was one of the first to be a craft beer in can. Uh, and then you started seeing more and more. And now the entire bottom section of the uh, of the cold box, right, is all cans. And the cans are creeping up. And all of a sudden you're seeing modern times for $17 for four cans. Yeah. And I think that what that did is open the consumer to say, hey, this can's a pretty cool package. I get premium product in here. So lead the segue to wine and can. And I give a ton of credit to Sophia. I mean, you think about that. Was, that was 11 right. years ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and they open consumers up. Then guys like Underwood coming out and, and, and clearly saying, look, we can do premium in a can. Right. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Give Paris Hilton a little shout out. I remember she used to carry around her little <laughs> can of rosé with a Who? straw. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. But you're just still trying to get her to return your phone call, though. She uh, Hopefully she'll come on the show. Uh, Paris, if you're listening, this is your invite. Jordan, who does the naming? Because you you have the most interesting names: Twice Removed, Wayward Son, Mother of Invention. Well, they all have history. I, I mean, I've been familiar with Jordan's wines for a while, and I I love the stories behind all the names for the, the wines. Uh, actually, secret. actually, a shout out to Brian. Brian was one of my first major supporters. Uh, that was probably like seven years ago. Yeah. Um, the first by the glass placement I ever got in a restaurant was a girl in the fig with Father's Watch. Excellent. Um, Killed and it. Uh, yeah, we we killed it. Yeah. We were going like four or five cases a week. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, it like why I could pay my bills. Um, and uh, and so totally. you know, but the names are all fun. Look, they all come from a place, right? So when we make a wine, we think about you know, like Mother Invention. My mom loves white Rhone. Hard to get white Rhone. Like there's not a lot of it in the U.S. So I wanted to name it after my mom or for my mom. And we started just playing around with names. Like what's a cool, fun maternal oriented name my mom's actually uh having her hip replaced right now so uh we all thinking about her and hoping yep. uh, that's going well that's the luck Shut yeah up. exactly <laughs> well based on the way she was walking two days ago i think this is all for the best but Good. you know Very what's good. cool is is the names all come from like a fun place and yeah, look it is marketing let's not lie right it's it's all part of it but well, hey they're fun here's the thing they are so the key to wine i think is threefold it's the three p's we've probably all heard this before right product price package yeah. right placement and, and well, eventually you get placement, but you need those three for that last P, right? And uh, and the biggest mistake I made early in my winemaking career was was not understanding how all three of those need to interact. So my first brand was called Pavo. You probably remember that. You remember that, Brian? No. All right. So Pavo was my estate Syrah from my family's property. Right. $45 a bottle. It had a turkey on it, yep. and everyone thought it was a pavo, and they thought it was a quail because it was this. And it was it was super confusing. And then I got I got a cease and desist letter from Wild Turkey. Can you believe that? Wow. Did you really? Wine really? Named pavo. Yep. Really. And I was making like 150. I was like, how the hell did they find this? I'm like literally not even making any wine. Um, you should have said, hey, they found me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. We're yeah, nervous. you know, cease and desist letters never come with smiles. <laughs> yeah. Um. So there was that. Then I I rebranded to qualia a really cool concept the, the word qualia is a really cool word 
problem was I kept the turkey. So they were like, is it a quail? Is this about quality? Right. What, what does it mean? Right. And and the pat, the, the label was wrong. And my, I, was, I was doing small batch premium winemaking, but trying to sell like buy the glass wine. And it's just like the whole thing was an epic. Tri- I, all three were messed up, right? Does, doesn't Ben Larks from um, Idle Sellers. Sellers sell cease and desist? No, brand? no, that's uh, Randy Hester, actually, oh, from that, uh, okay. Lightning Wines. All right. uh, Shout out to Randy. He's uh, in town. And does a cease and desist uh, wine? And I don't know yeah. if it was from the Lightning, the hockey team, but he received a cease and desist, and so then he actually named the blend cease and desist and kind of <laughs> said, fuck you. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, why do you guys have a... A cow statue in the vineyard over there. On I, I drive by five days a week. Brian, I drive don't by, you remember I drive those by cows? your vineyard? What the Did hell? Did you ever go see the cows on parade when they were when that was a big fundraiser all over the world? Do you remember no, that? No. So yeah, they had them all over Chicago. Oh, all over. I mean, literally, was, it was yeah. 30, 40, 50 cities, and what they local artists would paint them and they'd auction them off for a local charity, and they had them in, in Zurich and in Paris, and, yeah. and I mean, literally all over the world. And we were happened to be traveling my family at some point. This is 20 years ago. And my dad saw it. And we all, he's like, this is so cool. And I really want one. So for his 50th birthday, my mom tried to buy him one. But the problem was she couldn't find one she liked. So she called Cows on Parade. And they said, oh, well, we can actually commission one for you. Uh. So she had Angus. His name is Angus. Uh, she had Angus made for my dad for his 50th birthday. And he's our vineyard mascot. He just hangs out in the vineyard drinking wine all how, day. And, and, and they, they actually did... They actually did that here in Sonoma County because there's a cow on top of the Sears Point sign. There is the race race car cow. The race car cow. And then they did a similar thing in Santa Rosa with all the Charlie Brown uh, Snoopy characters. Okay, that I remember because they've got them at uh, Howard Park. Kind of the same concept. Okay. But Um, you're right, Brian. You can't miss that cow when you drive over Bennett Valley Road. I know. Well, you really got to pay that attention. That cow is way more famous than I am, by the way. <laughs> Everybody knows that cow. Yeah, and it's it's almost dangerous, uh, Jordan, because that is not a spot in the road where you want to be looking <laughs> off to the side. Not that, at all. That whole road is dicey <laughs> oh. in the daytime, let alone nighttime. But uh, yeah, to have a little distraction there, that's very irresponsible, actually. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Drink more. I don't, you won't see it. <laughs> Yeah, let me just mention we opened up the uh, Pierre Lachine uh, 2015 Margot. This is way too early to be drinking this wine, way but um, we were pouring early the, in the uh, day or early in uh, just the- early in its life. We've been pouring the 2010 at um, Sante, and and I saw that the 15 came out. I know it's a really good vintage, and I just couldn't help myself, so I figured we'd pop this sucker and see what it was tasting like in its in its infancy, and it's uh, well, it's tasting Sante pretty good. to you. This one will be spectacular tomorrow, right? Right. Well, that's exactly right. Ooh, it's that's big, my big, test. Big, big, big wine. Wow. I thought John might enjoy this, yeah. yeah. John used to be a, a big Bordeaux Margot uh, fan until we converted him over to the uh, Rhone varietals. I, I just yes. moved east in France. That's yeah. it. Right. <laughs> so so I don't, do you guys know this, that I'm doing um, a wine cruise in the Rhone? This no, uh, no, no, yeah. no, no. Oh, no, so no, no. You'd be fun to go over there. I, I got my first uh, invite, and uh, it was funny because they ca- called me and they said, hey, would you like to do a wine cruise? And I'm like, you know how old I am, right? Where and, and when? And so we're starting in uh, Lyon and going down to Arles. Um, so it's seven days just cruising down the run, which is like heaven on earth for me. My, I mean, I'm not necessarily a cruiser, but you can stick me on the Rhone and I'll right. be a very happy human being. Absolutely. Um, and so it was really funny. So they called me and they said, okay, Jordan, you know, we've heard about you. We'd like you to do this. And I said, that sounds awesome. I mean, I'd love to go to the Rhone. Um, they said, well, I so, you know, we need you to sell rooms. I said, have you looked at my brand? They were like, yeah, we, it looks great. And I said, what do you think the age demographic of my brand is? Right. And they said, I said, 
It is generally 25 to 45, and the people who are older than 45 are the ones that still want to hang out with all the people that are under 45. Right. Um, and they're probably not cruise people. And they said, okay, well, we understand. But, you know, we like you, and let's try. So we tried it. Can you guess how many rooms I've sold? Uh, out of, well, how, how many are possible? Well, so, there's 160 rooms on the boat. 160 oh, rooms on the Christ, boat. You've big. sold... Uh, Six? 20. I'm going to say uh, family and friends. One. Oh, my. Because <laughs> guess what? Yours? <laughs> my da- no. <laughs> Thanks. Not mine. Well, there's so many different styles of but, boats out there. There are some that, I mean, really are limited well, that have 10 people. But No, but I laugh, and I, I said, look, guys, I, I promise you the people who come on this boat are going to have an amazing experience. I'm pairing. I'm, I'm not doing all my wines. I'm doing it with local wines that I like that I think yeah. you know compare to the wines we make, right. and the lectures are going to be really quiet. I said, look. Ask your guests afterwards, and I guarantee you they will have a blast with me. Maybe I didn't sell 10 rooms, but we'll see how it goes. And I think this is an interesting dilemma that the cruise was having, right? Because they said, all right, well, we really want cool, up-and-coming young winemakers because that's people find really interesting. Like, yes, they might like the brands they know, but they also want the experience of something new. And so uh, we'll see. I'm really looking forward to it, Are you though. bringing kegs? When is this? I'm not bringing You're kegs. Not bringing uh, November 1st through the um, 7th. Uh, it's through AMA Waterways, um, and it's 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 pretty cool. But but the other great part is um, I have two kids under the age of five. Do you know are not allowed on this boat? Children. So I had to pull every favor I have saved with every family member I know to get ten days of child coverage um, oh, yeah. for while we're there. But I can tell you, my wife and I, ten days without children there you go alone on a boat uh, drinking wine wine. (laughs) well you know in the rhone in the rhone i mean it's like a second honeymoon yeah beautiful yeah it's gonna be amazing well i wouldn't mind doing the the uh, loire either yeah a small boat i've never been on a cruise so i haven't either actually this is a totally totally i've done a disney cruise with as a, a winemaker on the Disney no, cruise, or just for no, just a Disney cruise with my son. Have you ever done one? Have you ever done one of these winemaker? No, cruises? no, no. I know people that have and stuff. And I was hoping for some guidance. Yeah, on you what know, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard two sides. People that really love it, and because there's enough going on, um, but you do need to be prepared that there are people that are gonna be your best friend. I I can't I can't get stuck on a boat. That's my thing. Well, that's why I, I like can't. river cruises because you're really on the boat at night, right? Right. Every day you get off and you go and wherever you, you are, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All day, okay. every day, you're out. You don't hang out on the boat, okay. right? The but boat yeah, is when your we, floating we, hotel, right? But when we did our cruise, we did we went out of Copenhagen and did all the fjords, uh, the Norwegian fjords, and there were two days, two times during it that we were out to sea for a full like 30, 24 hours or thirty six hours, and it's a long time just being on the boat. Yeah. So very, I, yeah. But, but yeah, you're very, right. River cruises makes more sense. Um, speaking of that, Nor- Norwegian Airlines uh, is not bad priced. Uh, they fly direct from San Jose to Paris. Are they sponsor of the show? That was a random. <laughs> they, they are not. I was. <laughs> but would they like to be? They could be. They, they could be <laughs> because uh, well, it was Nicole Rollet who told me she's been doing it, and they've got an economy plus that the seats. Go all the way back. And oh, nice! A lot of room, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I looked it up the other day for November. Just, yep. just messing around. Business class um, is prohibited. Prohibitive in terms of price, but it was eight thousand euros 
four, hmm. no, excuse me, 4,000 euros for two of us in Economy Plus in November. Nice. And they are booked and booked and oh, booked. Yeah. So, hmm. you, you know, get, I, your, get your tickets and I, I hate head traveling Rome, right man. now. And man, what did they do? Like, you know, traveling used to be fun. And I will tell you, like, so I'm a United loyalist because I travel a lot and you have to pick an airline because, right. you know, they treat you like you absolute to. garbage right. unless you pick at least one and get some level of status. And then, even right. then, you can be executive platinum and you, there's still 5,000 people in front oh. of you for an upgrade. So, so what I love now is whenever something bad happens, right, you go to the customer service desk and literally the agent's first question is, what's your status? Yeah. It's like literally if you're like nothing, they're like, well, just go sit over there. We'll deal with you later. Like, like it's, it's, it's sad. And, you know, someone said to me, I read this article that said, you know, uh, airlines in the U.S. are the only thing left that's a pure class system, right? right? Think about it, right? You get in these lines, you're, you're, you're lined up by class. You have to walk through the premium class to get to your shitty seat in the back. Right. Like, yeah. it, it is, it's really crazy yeah. that it's like the only institution we have left where they just smear it in your face that you don't have this. I've always wondered this. Why don't they board the planes from the front and the back simultaneously so I don't have to walk through first class and see these people getting a foot massage on my way to my coach seat hey, where hey, I'm squished hey, I've in next to five foot people? massage in first class, man. My God. <laughs> it seems like the most ridiculous thing that everyone's heading in the same direction when you're boarding the plane. Um, you know, talking about tickets, can we just get a shout out to uh, Bart's uh, winemaker dinner? Is coming I got up. my tickets. Uh, you go. Friday you. the, the 22nd, Second. I believe. 12 yeah. days. Which uh, one are you doing, Bart? Uh, so we're Sweet doing D. down at Sweet D. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm doing mine in August. So okay. Those and are what is your date? Excellent. Do you know? That's in right. August. In, in August. In August. Right. That's right. We'll we'll that, get it. That's on called the, good preparation. Yeah. But yeah, you guys we'll should cover go. It. Yeah. Um, we'll cover these it. are the best things ever. I mean, yeah. Bart, like they're so fun. Yeah. She does. Of course, it's the girl and the fig crew. They just do it right every time. Yeah. So they, they sure uh, have it down, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah I do. think uh, this show is going to come out on uh, somewhere around the what is today? The so we're going to be around the 14th. It's, you still have a week. Um, but I don't know how many tickets have been sold. I know Kyle and I are going, and anyone that listened to. Two shows ago, when we had uh, Melanie um, on, who's right. buying a vineyard down in Paso Robles, Kyle said that we are going to bring a bottle of the Brose from Tackett Family Vineyards. And Kyle made it really weird that that him and I were going on a date with this uh, Brose Rose. And uh, but but Kyle and I are going to go um, uh, have dinner with Bart, and we're very excited to uh, try. Oh, the wine Jones some totally of that excited. Yeah. You know, get and, me out of the house. Right? Let's see if we can get down at the same table there. And and are you talking about yours is in August? Is this a Sweet D adventure sweet D, as well? Sweet D adventure. Cool. Yeah. So anyone that wants to get tickets, if you just go to thegirlinthefig.com, there's a button that you can click on for Sweet D and look at the winemaker dinners. There's um, some really nice ones coming up. And you guys have a lot. Of, you I'm, all of a sudden it just clicked in. You said sparkling, right? That was like 20 minutes ago. Yeah. So this is interesting. So <laughs> we're clearly at 16600. It's well, obvious now. Well, and this is. Um, this is a thing that you know the the people oxygen. that do um, people that do winemaker dinners. Sometimes it's always nice to have you know if you primarily do red uh, and you do a winemaker dinner. And I know this um, used to happen with the Coturi, um, um, Tony Coturi. I know he would do winemaker dinners at uh, Greens. Uh, is that the place at uh, Fort Mason in San yep. Francisco? And and it was all red wine. I thought that's kind of odd. It's nice as a winemaker um, or as a winery when you have different things to offer so that you can do a salad course. So nice for you guys to have the orange wine, but then sparkling. Where are you doing the sparkling wine at? We do it uh, down on A Street, same place. It's a uh, semi-sparkling uh, um, Chenin Blanc. So it's uh, mostly Ooh. Chenin, a little bit of Chardonnay. Um, it's, I would call it frizzante. It's yeah. not full sparkling. We don't do it method champenoise. It's just light, refreshing, and delicious. 
Wow. Kind of on the reins of a, or the lines of a, like, Vino Verde? Yeah, like, a kind of Vino Verde-ish. Yeah. Um, I'd say it's a little more sparkling than Vino Verde, yeah, but, cool. but you know, right at kind of the, that 3,900 parts, um, just, it's like 11.5% alcohol. It, it, I mean, Vino Verde would be the closest thing I would compare and it to. And that's available at the tasting room and yes. online? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's called Wondering. Was my daughter's wine. Bart, nice. your menu at Sweet D on the twenty second. Yeah, what are you pouring? Fabulous. Yeah, it it looks um, it looks really pie, interesting. Seafood paella. Yeah, go ahead, John. Uh, and uh, you're serving the Grenache with the charcuterie and saloon and cheese. Yep. And the, the new Valeria. The Valeria. Yep. Which is absolutely stunning. Thank you. I Thanks. mean, I've I, those were the first bottles. And I that's went with the. Uh, I Help can't even here. pronounce it. Oh, shawarma. 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 And then what right. is shawarma? Shawarma, if you have to ask, John. <laughs> well, I have to ask. Have I you ever know. walked by in the city or in the wherever, Mission District, whatever, and you walk by and you see that big piece of meat that's, that's just twirling on. around and you got the guy with the big long knife and he's cutting it's off pieces true. and putting it, it into a falafel it or a... Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. shawarma. Well, that's a mix of lamb and pork and beef. Well, it's correct? whatever the chef decides. Okay. So um, right. I don't know what uh, what the crew has planned, but... And, and then the last chicken is mole. chicken mole. And yeah. then mole. Yeah, we're oh not eating God. dessert. We are just drinking no, serious okay. wine no. and eating serious I did, food. I did ask for um, the salted uh, chalk chip cookies, though. So oh, you thank know. you. Now, Jordan, <laughs> did that big fire down on 8th Street mess with you? Wasn't down on A Street. It, oh, what okay. it, where it impacted us was up, you know, with the tasting room in Glen Ellen. Fortunately, obviously, we didn't burn, but we were no. close. We were shut down for two weeks. But my family's property, we lost about three acres of vineyard. We lost our barn, and the, the fire literally burned to our back door. It actually scorched the back of the house. It did. Um, oh, th- thankfully, the house itself is still standing. Thank yeah. God. But, I mean, it was as close as you get. But I was talking about the pallet factory down on Eighth. Oh yeah, no, there's his. Place oh, the one, the one, up. the one. You mean like a couple days ago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that something. Blew I don't know. Up. I don't know what it is with that place, but man, that place likes to catch on fire. That's like yeah. the third yeah. time it's caught on fire. It tells you that they're not doing something correctly there. I was actually having lunch with Jeff Bunchu that day, and um, I got a phone call from his wife saying, "Have Jeff call me immediately." And um, because he wasn't answering his phone and she said the pallet uh, factory is on fire again and it's right next to the warehouse again. Mm-hmm. And so their warehouse is right against that. And Correct. They have all of their archives from the wineries all stored down there. So we went down there and we were trying to unload everything and they came and told us that they were it was going to be fine. But it was wow. really interesting to see how it affected him. I mean, he went into total. PSD. <laughs> well, and anyone that remembers, if you've listened to the show with Jeff on here, I mean, th- that was a serious, serious story that he told about blazing down the road. I mean, you're talking about almost tires melting to the road when yeah. he was driving up to his property. Jordan, I don't know what your time is like. I don't know if we got to get you out of here or not. We're, uh, it's all right. I just punted my, my, my thing that was supposed to start at noon. So uh, don't worry. It's with a banker. Oh, oh. They want, <laughs> I love they, everybody. Make they want way. your money. Make so. yeah. Actually, the, the best one was for what, some reason, a banker f- tried to FaceTime me in the middle of this conversation. That's, that's that might be creepy. Good, yeah. I'm not answering that one. That there's no. nothing good that can come of that. So, um, <laughs> but no, it's it, it's all good. No, I appreciate it. So, Jordan, you have anything uh, anything coming up that you're excited about in, in the vineyard this year, or any new wines, or anything you want to share? I guess, you know, oh, well, I did want to share something cool. Thank you. Uh, oh, you big know, uh, announcement? Yeah, big announcement. So, hold on, um, hold on. Dun, 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 dun. We need a drum roll. Yeah. 
Um, so I am extremely excited to announce that Free Flow will be moving back to Sonoma. Yay! Um, we were yeah. we were here um, five years ago. Uh, we moved to Napa um, and uh, with our friends uh, down at um, down on A Street. Uh, you know, there's a group that. Uh, Owns 1.6 million square feet. Uh, local guys, they're amazing. Helga and Patrick and that whole crew. It is, um, it is amazing. They they have built an empire down there. Anyway, so we've known them. They were old landlords, and we were looking at new space, and we were looking at American Canyon. And as many of you know, water is a big issue here in California. And uh, we were going to put in a water recycling system like we have in Napa. And uh, I was talking to Helga and Patrick about it, and they said, Jordan, how about we just build you a building with one in it? You, you do That's that? That's a deal. That's right. A thing, huh? And they said, yeah, we do that for you. So um, it's under construction right now. It's actually where I'm going after this uh, is to go down and, and have a chat with them and uh, plan to be in at the end of this year. And That's awesome. uh, it's pretty amazing. We will have a capacity to do about uh, 1.2 million kegs a year out of that facility and uh, about 7 million cases of cans. Yeah, because you need to hit your goal. I think right now, market share, what are you, 0. 0.7 is uh, kegs somewhere? Yeah, US-wide, it's about 0. 0.7 to 1% of on-premise consumption. Is and you'd kegs. like to be around 10%. I've settled at five. If I take five, okay. I'm pretty happy. <laughs> okay. Um, well, shoot for I the sky. But I mean, we're, we're pro- this is crazy. So I was doing it the other day. See, I got to remember, like we started this in a garage nine years ago, right? Um, we're processing over almost a quarter million gallons of wine a month. Wow. Through, between kegs and cans. Wow. Um, the the baron mean, of wine. Yeah. Wow. That's no, the, the, the baron of wine has a winery right up the road, I right. think. Um, <laughs> right. And he dresses way better than I do. Right. Are we talking about uh, Jean Charles? JCB, J- J- yeah. the, yeah. the one, the only. Yeah. You, you don't have red socks, man? Uh, I'm not wearing red socks today. No, I'm blue. They got some red on them. You'd have, to, you'd have to really today, pimp so. out your taste I am Glenn Allen right. to, uh, to, 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 you know what? to compete with that. Know what you're good at? I cannot compete with that one. So, um, no, it's, and it's all good. Like, here, here's what I love, right? We got all these different personalities. We got all these great uh, things. And what I love about this industry is the people. I will tell you, coming from an industry that the quality of people was a little bit different, um, if that would be pharmaceuticals, um, you know, that's. What, very different. Um, which I actually, by the way, I heard a great podcast the other day, and they were talking with the woman who runs the... Uh, so the most philanthropic company in the world is Pfizer. Huh. Pfizer has the highest corporate donations of any company. Um, it's like $5 billion a year donations. And, uh, and so they're talking to their head, their VP of whatever the title is for corporate philanthropy, right? And he, the, the guy says... Why is it that even though you do all this, everyone still hates you? <laughs> like, you know, wh- let's let's have a conversation about this. She said, I don't get it. She's like, we make medicine. He's like, well, you do charge a lot for it. And uh, it was a really interesting conversation because she was talking about all these amazing things they do. And, and oh, we all forget about that. They're taking the hit for somebody else right now. Anyway, I mean, the, they're not. Pfizer's a good company. Yeah, they're a great company. You know, they're not like Mylan. Who you know some of these people who just jack prices on everything? It's ridiculous, right? But it's a it's a it's a really interesting, and I have absolutely no idea what segued us into that. Sorry, uh, we were right. talking you know about what? something. Okay. And you obviously haven't listened to that many of our podcasts because it happens every Ooh, shiny episode. object. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, down the that's rabbit a, that's hole. That's what happens. Squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are want to respect your timing today. So I appreciate let, that. Let Thank you, you go, guys. Go talk to the banker. Um, so um, why don't you tell us how everybody can find you wherever you want them to find you? Sure. So if you want to learn more about kegs or wine on tap, you can check out 
freeflowwines.com or trywineontap.com. Um, for Kibblestat, check out kibblestatsellers.com. Um, and, and let's spell Kibblestat for people that ha- uh, aren't familiar with it. It's so. phonetic. You just got to remember the D. So K-I-V is in Victor, E-L-S-T-A-D-T. There you go. Um, and, uh, and last one is, uh, I really encourage people to check out the campaign. So T H E C A N P A I G N campaign, go check it out. I, it's just silly fun and, uh, it's pretty cool. Actually, we got, um, uh, over two dozen brands to sponsor it with us. Yeah. Really, really cool brands. So we're doing giveaways. So we have, we've had over 10,000 people sign up already oh, for wow. our giveaways. Online? Uh, and I mean, we're giving away, we, we have, uh, f- almost $50,000 in stuff and Giveaway. I love swag. I mean, yeah, it's the yeah. coolest swag. Yeah, we, we have it. such cool swag. We need it. Um, so, we need it. Sean yeah. says we need it. It's uh, we gotta have swag. I need today. another headband, John. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably not targeted you, towards our demographic. Headband, John. really? Headband. Last, last week I was wearing a, a Roan only uh, headband. These he guys was, were making uh, fun of me. Drinking yeah. with yeah. the oldies. Said I look like John McEnroe. Yeah, you did. <laughs> or Richard Trimmett. Hey, Where's I want to give a real quick shout out to a, a new local business here in Sonoma, um, located on Broadway called Frenchie. Oh, that place and, is um, awesome. Yeah, yeah so yeah, we picked yeah. up a little, a few provisions today from Frenchie, and um, it's beautiful in there. They're not me. quite spending any or selling any wine yet. They're waiting on their permits, but. Uh, the food looks amazing. So and Rachel from The Girl in the Fig is selling her smoothies there, so let's get a shout-out to her. And, you know, one thing that's important that I that I want to mention, I don't think we do it enough on the show, is to, is, to, um, is to let the listeners know, you know, we love getting your feedback, whether it's um, writing an email to Ed, the podfather, or whether it's connecting with us on Instagram, uh, me personally at um, Sonoma Wine Lover. Um, Meyer wine Sonoma. Ma- Meyer Sonoma, Winemakers Pod. Um, Dane Sellers is, uh, yeah, you know, hey, we on, get a on lot that, of interaction. On, on, on that, I got an email. Sam and I got an email today from uh, Jess Woods, who uh, was here over Memorial Day weekend. He and his buddy Kyle Yance and their podcast listeners. Um, when I met with them and we tasted together, they had some ideas and suggestions. Obviously, they had listened to the podcast quite a bit. And today I got a nice email um, with some comments about the last two episodes that I'll pass along with you guys. Um, real fun. Um, I, I appreciate it there, um, Jess or Jesse. Um, uh, good stuff. So what were keep the listening. comments? Oh, uh, we won't get onto it. All oh, okay. okay. <laughs> no, and I, ju- I just wanted to mention that we'd love to get your reviews. Um, online instead of connecting with us, which uh, you still can if you want to connect with us on Instagram, um, but to actually on Apple and, and iTunes is to leave a review. Uh, send or us just give us just just you don't have to write anything. Just how many stars? Five you stars. Like Five give stars. us a, something. And if you leave your name, I guarantee we will. Uh, I I can tell you this: that we will reach out to you or mention you. And you can ask Melanie, who was here uh, two weeks ago. She reached out to us, and we actually had her on the show. So. Um, there's your opportunity to come to Sonoma and join <laughs> us on the uh, podcast. And we are planning, starting today, planning for our anniversary show. Yeah, we, we want we, we want to do something fun. We get people on who yeah. have, you know, been been on you know, guests to have Jordan back. Have you know? Yeah, I think we, this is episode fifty four. But we'd like to do a show where where we can invite some of the people that we've had on the show in the last year. And the and year has gone fast, like man. You know. Ooh, Ooh, I, I like the roast idea. Uh, there you go. I pick someone other than me. I don't know where you are going. With you know, the roast. well, so Sandra, Sandra wanted to know if we wanted to record at my winemaker dinner, 
And I said that that would, you know, could be dangerous because people might want to get up and tell Bart stories. And, and Kyle stuff. and I are going to be holding hands, good uh, ones, skipping uh, skipping around uh, with our bottle of rosé. We're not going to have time to podcast. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Well, All thanks right. everybody for listening to the winemakers. Jordan, thank you very Bart, much. It was a pleasure, guys. Jordan, Jordan, good to yeah. see you, brother. It was a yeah, pleasure. And thank yeah. you for uh, including me in this. This was awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I only have about a hundred more questions for you. <laughs> I'm available Kyle, after. Kyle, thanks so much. Uh, You've added so much to the show. It's so appreciated. And Brian, yeah. uh, next week we have Bob Cabral from yeah. Three Sticks. Uh, we'll oh, do a couple Bob's of, awesome. I think we're going to talk about Pinot and Chard. Do you know he just canned, too? Oh. Head high, head high just went into can yesterday. Now that's my first question we got for Bob Cabral. There what are go. you putting in that can there, Mr. Yeah. Cabral? Perfect. So, <laughs> well, Thanks, everybody. I'm John Myers, uh, your host, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, John. Enjoy. Thanks. Thanks, guys.